If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3 as we work through the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 3. Today we'll be looking at uh, verses 23 through 29. Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 29. And if you don't have a Bible, then you can grab a pew Bible there in front of you and turn to page 139 in the pew Bible. That's page 139 in the pew Bible. Now, when I, I grew up, I grew up around, around guns. My dad was a collector of guns and uh, a hunter, and so we were a hunting family. And so we always had guns in the house. It was just, they were, they were there. And so uh, my dad started at a very young age to teach me to respect the power of guns. Uh, he taught me gun safety uh, from a little toddler, right? When I was a little, little bitty boy, I got my first BB gun, and it all started there. He taught me to, to handle it safely and to, to respect the power of those guns. And uh, with that, he taught me the basics of, of using guns, how to use them, the basic, uh, you know, basic mechanics of, of guns. And so I learned all that from early on. And, and the reason he taught me that was so that I would be able to use guns properly as I began to handle them myself. And so uh, it's important when you're handling something as powerful as a gun to handle it properly and to use it properly. Otherwise, you, you might get hurt. Well, in the Christian life, prayer is a powerful weapon in the Christian armory, in the Christian arsenal. In fact, Paul includes prayer as part of God's armor in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, we need to learn to respect the power of prayer and use it properly. We need to learn how to, to respect it and use it properly. And to do so, we need to understand the basic characteristics of prayer in order to wield prayer properly. And today we're going to learn about prayer. And today, our, my hope is that we will unleash the power of prayer by understanding six characteristics of powerful prayer so i want you to be able to unleash the power of prayer by understanding six characteristic basic characteristics of powerful prayer and we're going to see that in our text today now here in our text in deuteronomy chapter three remember we're in the historical prologue that section of of the the book where moses is reviewing the history of israel with god and so we've seen kind of the history of Israel with God since God uh, established his first covenant with them. He brought them out of Egypt. He saved them out of slavery. And then after he had saved them by his saving grace, he established a covenant with them. He brought them to the land of promise and, and the Israelites at that point refused to go in. They refused to have faith in God and believe God could uh, could deliver the land to them and so God sent them out into the wilderness to wander around for 40 years until that unfaithful generation passed and now he has brought them back to the land of promise this new generation to, uh, to which he's going to give the land of promise and so they're there and Moses is preparing them to go in and take the land of promise and Deuteronomy are, are is they're the they're the last words of Moses to the people of Israel before he goes on he dies 
and they go into the land of promise. And in this historical prologue, this review of Israel's history with God, uh, Moses gives us a little insight into prayer because he reveals to us one of his own private prayers, a private prayer that he prayed to God uh, before all of this took place. And so in this private prayer, we're going to learn these six characteristics of prayer. So remember that as we, we go into this, this message today. Now, if you found your place there in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remained in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, today we ask that you would teach us from your word, teach us about prayer. Lord, may you empower our prayers as we understand the characteristics of prayer. Lord, may we use prayer properly. May we... Uh, May we come to it with a right mindset. And Lord, may we honor you with our prayers. Lord, teach us to unleash prayer's power today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. So as we begin to look at this prayer of Moses this morning, we begin and we look at and consider six characteristics revealed in this prayer of the, the power of prayer. So six characteristics of powerful prayer. And the first characteristic is this, powerful prayer is an act of worship. worship. Powerful prayer primarily even is an act of worship. And we need to understand that is an act of worship. It's not just coming to God with petitions, right? It's not just coming to ask God for things. It is an act of worship. And that's how Moses begins this prayer. He begins it with worship. Notice how he starts his prayer. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, Oh, Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? He, he worships God. He praises God for who God is. And that's what, what prayer should be. It should primarily be an act of worship. Now, what is worship? 
What is worship? Well, the term that we have today of worship comes from an old Anglo-Saxon term, worthship. Worthship. And it, it, it's ascribing worth to, to someone who is worthy. Donald Whitney says that to worship God is to ascribe the proper worth to God, to magnify his worthiness of praise, or better, to approach and address God as he is worthy. God is worthy. And that's what prayer should be. It, it should be an act of worship, ascribing worth to a worthy God. That's why Jesus says when his apostles came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, all right, well, here it goes. Here, here's this model prayer. And the first thing that Jesus says, here's what you do. Here's how you pray. You start out by saying, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's ascribing worth to God. It's ascribing his worthiness. It's praising him for his worthiness. And, and that's how we should start prayer. We should begin prayer, not with, Lord, give me, Lord, give me, but Lord, you are. Your, Lord, you are a mighty, wonderful God. You are creator and sustainer of all things. I live because you give me air to breathe. I eat because you give me food to eat. Lord, you are my provider. You are my savior. You've saved me from my sins. Lord, you are the great redeemer. We begin prayer by ascribing words to God, by praising him and thanking him for all that he gives to us. David exemplifies worship in prayer in 1 Chronicles chapter 20, 29, verses 10 through 13. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. That's how prayer should begin. Prayer should always begin with praising God and worshiping Him for who He is. A great, mighty, powerful, sovereign, saving God. I mean, there is no end to what we can praise God for. You can begin by looking at the sunrise in the morning and just seeing the magnificence of God, that he, he rules the heavens and He causes the sun to rise and to set. He causes the wind to blow. He, he brings the rains and He brings the sunshine. Uh, there is no end to what we can praise God for what we can praise God. So prayer should always begin with worship. Worship God and praise Him for who He is. Prayer is primarily an act of worship. And that, that 
is exactly where prayer should begin. Powerful prayer. My, my friend, if you want to experience powerful prayer, let prayer begin with worship. Let prayer begin with worship. So powerful prayer is an act of worship. Second, powerful prayer is an act of humility. It is an act of humility. It's humbling ourselves before the Lord our God. Now we see this in a couple of places here in our text. First of all, notice how Moses addresses the Lord. O Lord God. O Lord God. Uh, that word there, Lord. Now you see there in the text, that's Lord, capital letter, capital L, lowercase O-R-D. Now you back up there to the previous verse, and he says, I pleaded with the Lord, all caps. Uh, what's the difference? Well, we've talked about this before, and many of you know that, but uh, for those who don't know that, in the Old Testament, when you see the capital, all caps, Lord, uh, that is the proper name for God, what some people now transliterates as Yahweh. But that's the proper name for God. And in the Old Testament era, uh, the priests, when they would come and they would re be reading the Hebrew Bible, when they came to the proper name of the Lord, they didn't want to take the Lord's name in vain. They wanted to make sure that they never took the Lord's name in vain. And so instead of pronouncing the proper name of God, the covenant name of God, they would say Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for Lord, Master. And so that's why you see in the 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 bible now in the english translation they'll put lord there in all caps that's the proper name of god but then when we come to this next verse verse 24 he says O lord god and notice there it's lord with the lower capital or lowercase o-r-d and then god is in all caps and that's because moses is he, he there he says O adonai yahweh right he, he's using the proper name but he's also using that, that Hebrew phrase, Adonai. So it's Adonai Yahweh, Adonai, Lord, my master, my ruler, my king, God. And that's how he is addressing him. And then later on in that verse, after he says, Oh Lord God, he says, you've only begun to show your servant, your servant. Moses realizes his position before God. He is not Lord over God. No, God is Lord. God is master. God is king. And Moses comes to him in humility. I am your humble servant. God doesn't serve us. We serve God. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. God owes us nothing. He is sovereign king. He is sovereign God, sovereign creator over all of creation. We don't come to God demanding, God, give me, give me, give me, as if we're Lord over God. No, God is Lord. He is master. And so we must come to God in a, a state of humility, in a position of humility. You are master. You are king. I am but your humble servant. Prayer is an act of humility, coming to the Lord in humility. And then going on there, we see the humility in, in Moses' prayer as he says in verse 25, please, right? Please, O Lord, please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan. 
Moses understands that it's not up to him. He's not there to make demands of God, but he says, Lord, please. Lord, please grant this prayer. You have the power to grant this prayer. I don't have the power to make this happen, but you do. So, Lord, Lord, please do this for me. You know, Jesus recognizes this when he says, how, how should we pray? You pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. That's a humble recognition that everything that we have, everything that we own, everything that, we, that exists, everything that we have is given from the Lord. Think about that. The very air that we breathe is from the Lord. He gives us life. He gives us the breath of life. He gives us the air to breathe. He gives us the food that we put on our table day in and day out, our daily bread. It comes from the Lord. And if the Lord wants to take away our bread, if he wants to send us into poverty and just take everything away from us, he can. He has every authority to do so. He is God. He owns everything. It all belongs to him. And what we have is only a gracious gift from him. Everything that you have. From the air you breathe, the food on your table, the clothes on your back, the money in your, your bank account, all of it is a gracious gift from the Lord. And just like Job, if God, God can give it and God can take it away in a blink of an eye, in a moment. So we come to the Lord in absolute humility. Lord, I can do nothing. You can do everything. We must humble ourselves before the Lord. Recognizing he is sovereign Lord and God. We humble ourselves before him. That's why we talk, talk about kneeling in prayer. Now, you don't have to kneel in prayer for your prayer to be effective, but the act of kneeling, it, it, it's a, a representation of our humble stance before him. We're to bow before him because he is God. We are his servants. So powerful prayer is an act of humility. It's an act of humility. Prayer is an act of humility. Our prayers and petitions must flow out of a heart of humility. God owes us nothing. He owes us nothing. We depend upon Him for everything. Therefore, powerful prayer is humble prayer. Powerful prayer is worship. Powerful prayer is an act of, of humility. Third, powerful prayer is confessional Powerful prayer is confessional. Now, we see this kind of uh, come out in the text. Notice what he says there in verse 26. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Now, what's he talking about here? Uh, this is, uh, Moses is referring to something that took place back in, in Numbers chapter um, what was it? Numbers chapter? Let me find a place here. Numbers chapter twenty, verses two through thirteen. Numbers chapter twenty, verses two through thirteen. We have there an episode that that took place in the history of Israel. This happened right after they had come to the promised land. 
they were faithless. They said, no, God, we don't trust you to, to give us the land. We're not going to go in and take possession of it. We don't trust you, Lord. And so God said, all right, well, that's fine. Then you go wander off in the wilderness for 40 years, and I'll bring your kids back here, and they'll take possession of it. Right after that, as they're going out into the wilderness to wander for 40 years, they came to a place called Meribah. And in Meribah, there was no water to drink. There was nothing there to drink. So what did the faithless generation, the faithless people of Israel do? They began to murmur. Oh, the Lord just brought us out in this wilderness to die. We're going to die of thirst. And so God was, again, gracious to them. Even though they were faithless, God was gracious to them. And he gave Moses instruction on what to do. I'm going I'm to empower you, Moses, to, to water this people, to, to provide water for them. And so he told Moses, now you go to the rock. There was a rock there. And he said, go to the rock. And he said, you speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. Say to the rock, give us water, right? Speak to the rock. Command the rock to give you water, and I'll cause water to come from the rock. But what did Moses do? Moses went, and he hit the rock. He hit it twice, in fact. And this is Numbers chapter 20. I'll just pick up in verse 10 here. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore... You shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through, him, through them he showed himself holy. So Moses disobeyed God, and it was because of his faithlessness, his sin, that God said, All right, because you didn't uphold me as holy, because you didn't obey me before the people, you're not going in. You're not going in. Instead, I'm going to give that glory. I'm going to give that, that opportunity to, to Joshua instead. Moses sinned against God, and it cost him. Now, how does Moses say here in Deuteronomy that uh, it was because of you, Israel? Well, because if Israel had gone into the land in the, at the first place, then Meribah wouldn't have happened. Moses would have led them into the land. We'll say, well, Moses is blaming the people of Israel for his own sin. And I don't know how to deal with that, to be honest with you. Except for to say this, remember, Moses was a man. And the best of men are men at best. We don't want to hold Moses to a high, higher position. He was a man, he was a sinner who sinned against God and his sin cost him. Nevertheless, God continued to honor Moses. And though he didn't go into the physical, this world land of promise, Moses did enter into glory. And God brought him into heaven. Instead of, instead of Israel, God brought him to heaven. Because we see him in the, the Gospels, do we not? On the mountain of transfiguration, when Jesus took up uh, Peter, uh, 
Peter, James, and John, wasn't it? Uh, Peter, James, John went up to the, the Mount of Transfiguration with him, and there was Moses and Elijah. So he didn't see the, the land of Israel. He didn't get to walk on the land of Israel, but he did get to go to glory. God saved him. That just shows us that Moses was a sinner. He wasn't the Messiah. He was a sinner. And he needed to confess his sin before God, just like all of us need to confess our sin before God. You know, sin can hinder our prayers. If we're living in sin, if we're you know, in the habit of sin, living in sin, sin can hinder our prayers. It can. That, that's why Jesus says uh, in the model prayer, again, back to the model prayer, Jesus says, say this, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, who, de who have debts against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, right? We're to, we're to ask for forgiveness. We're to confess our sins before God. We're to seek forgiveness and ask the Lord to, to empower us to overcome the sin in our lives. Now, we're forgiven in Jesus Christ. We're saved in Jesus Christ, and all of our sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Yet when we come to prayer, we're to wash off the filth of this world, right? We're to wash off the filth of this sinful flesh. We're to confess our sins before God, asking for his, confession, asking for his forgiveness. Prayer must be confessional. It must be confessional. We must seek the Lord's forgiveness over our sins in our prayer life. Sin can inhibit our prayers. We pray, therefore, confessionally. We confess our sins before God and ask His forgiveness. Powerful prayer is confessional prayer. So powerful prayer is an act of worship. It's an act of humility. It is confessional. Number four, powerful prayer is submissive. Powerful prayer is submissive. Remember, Moses asked, Lord, please, please, Lord, let me go into the land. Just let me walk across the Jordan. Let me go in and see the good, wonderful land that you're giving the people of Israel. Lord, please let me go in. And what did the Lord say? Enough of this. Moses, don't talk to me about this anymore. This is my final word. You're not going in. Instead, look what he tells him to do. Instead, go up to the top of Pisgah. And lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. God still granted his request in one sense, didn't he? No, he didn't allow him to go over, but he said, go up to Mount Pisgah, the, top, top, the highest mountain here that, that you can get up on. Go up to, on top of Mount Pisgah and look at the beauty of the land. Look at his beauty. Look at his wonder. But you can't go in. You can't go in. And Moses submitted to the will of God. He submitted to the will of God. You know, not every prayer will be answered like we want it answered. Every prayer is answered. God answered Moses' prayer. He said, Lord, please let me go over. God said, no. He answered him. Lord, let me go in. No, Moses, that's not my plan. That's not for you. 
I can't do that for you. I'm not going to do that for you. And Moses submitted to the will of God. Jesus, again, reflects this in the model prayer. Pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every prayer that we pray must be a prayer of submission. It's a prayer of submission. It's not just demanding, Lord, give me, give me, give me. Why didn't you give me that, Lord? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you grant me that? No, no, no. Prayer is an act of submission. Yes, we, we pray, just like Moses. We can pray to God, Lord, give me this, grant me this, grant me this. But when the Lord's answer returns, and it's not quite what we wanted, we don't say, why, Lord? Powerful prayer says, yes, Lord, your will be done. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But you do. Your plan is greater than my plan. Your goodness is greater than my goodness. So I submit to you. Powerful prayer is submissive prayer, submitting to the Lord's will over our lives. Paul exemplifies this as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 9. Paul, you remember, had a, a, a thorn in the flesh that he had had. We don't know what that thorn was, but there was something that was just, it was painful for Paul. He despised it, and so he prayed three times, I pled with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We have to submit to the will of God. Submit to the will of God. He answers every prayer, though every prayer won't be answered like we think it ought to be answered, like we want it answered. But in all cases, we're to submit to God's sovereign will. Powerful prayer is submissive. It conforms us. It conforms us to God's sovereign will. So powerful prayer is an act of worship. It's an act of humility. It's confessional. It's submissive. Number five, powerful prayer is kingdom-focused. Powerful prayer is kingdom-focused. We see this in verse 28. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over and he in possession of the land that you shall see. Moses, uh, God tells Moses, nope, you're not to do it. But instead, you go and encourage Joshua. You get behind Joshua. You get him ready. You get him prepared to do it because he's the one who is going over to do it. Moses had to go out and he had to, to submit his will to God's will. And then he had to get on with kingdom business, didn't he? He had to understand, he had to come to, to, to terms with, with God's purpose and God's priority. And he had to get on God's program. And he did that. He went out and he encouraged Joshua, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. 
God has given you this task. Now be strong and courageous. Courageous. Encourage the people, lead the people to accomplish God's purpose for his kingdom. You know, we have to submit to God's sovereign plan and we have to, uh, we have to focus on his kingdom goals and his kingdom focus. So, so often our focus is so nearsighted, right? We see things so that, that are close by. We see things in close proximity to us. We are nearsighted. We only see a little piece of the picture. We don't see the grand picture that God is, is painting. We don't see his, his grand plan that's unfolding. A plan that we know how it ends, right? Because the book of Revelation tells us how it ends. It ends with Christ returning and establishing his eternal kingdom on earth. That's how it ends, and all of that, God is orchestrating all of history to come out to that end. We don't see the grand picture. We only see what's right here in front of us. But we have to submit to God's sovereign plan and God's sovereign program because we have to be kingdom-focused. We pray your will be done, your kingdom come, not my will, your will be done, your kingdom come. Not my kingdom, your kingdom come. When we're focused on the kingdom, the kingdom purpose, when we're kingdom focused, then our little problems and our little worries begin to look very much more small. Right? They, they begin to, to fade away. We have to be focused on God's kingdom. We have to be focused on his plan, his purpose for history. So powerful prayer is kingdom focused. It is focused on God's eternal plan to bring about his eternal kingdom. Not just what's right here in front of us. Not just what's taking place here at First Bastrop. But what's God doing in history? To bring about the return of Jesus Christ. Powerful prayer is kingdom focused. Powerful prayer is an act of worship. It's an act of humility. It's confessional. It's submissive. It is kingdom focused. And number six, powerful prayer is mediated. It is mediated. We don't see this necessarily in this text, but we see it in the context of the Old Testament and in the context of, of all of Scripture. And, and so I want to bring this out. I want to draw this out of the entire context because this is absolutely important. This is absolutely important for us to understand. Powerful prayer is mediated prayer. In the Old Testament, you recall, uh, the people of Israel needed a mediator. They needed a mediator. They, they couldn't go to God on their own terms. They needed a mediator. We see Moses acting as a mediator between the people of Israel and God. It was Moses who went out to the tent of meeting. And it was Moses who, who confessed the people's sins and, and mediated between them and God. And in the whole sacrificial system, the worship system there in the tabernacle and in the temple, God established the high priest. And it was the high priest who was to be the mediator between God and the people. 
He was to mediate. He was to pray for the people. He was to offer sacrifices of atonement for the people. But we see in the Old Testament that there was a, there was a flaw with that system. It wasn't really made to save anyone, but only to point to the perfect mediator who would come. Because as we've been seeing in the book of Hebrews, as we've been using that, reading that, uh, as our open, you know, opening up our services, we've been in the book of Hebrews, and we've, we've seen the, the high priest as mediator of God's people in the Old Testament. And we read that even this morning. That the Old Testament high priest, you know, he had a problem. He had a sin problem. He was a sinner. And so as he mediated for the people of Israel, as he was that mediator between Israel and God, he had to go in and first and offer a sacrifice of atonement for his own sins before he could ever do anything for the people of Israel. And then only after his, his own sins were atoned for, then he had to go out and make an atonement for the people of Israel. But as we read in that text this morning in Hebrews, God has provided us a perfect mediator who had no need of going in and making an atonement for his own sins but went in once and for all and became a mediator for all who trust in him. Let me just read that again. For former priests were many in number because they were uh, prevented by death from continuing in office. He, that is Jesus Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost. He is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself on Calvary's cross, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, who was God from the very beginning. In eternity past, He was God. All things were created through Him. He is God. And God humbled himself and came to this earth, took on the form of a servant, was born of Virgin Mary, born into, to be a man, and he lived a life of sinless perfection. And though he was without sin, he willingly went to Calvary's cross. He bore our sin, our shame, our guilt in our place. And he sacrificed himself so that we might be forgiven. And God raised him again from the dead. 
And now he rules and reigns and he sits at the right hand of God and he mediates for us. He is our eternal mediator. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't go to God on our own terms. We don't go to God on our own righteousness because we have no righteousness. The only righteousness that we have is in Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. And because of Jesus, we can go to God and be assured that God hears our prayers and answers our prayers. Our prayers must be mediated. Oh, dear friend, you want to experience powerful prayer, then you must pray through Jesus, our eternal high priest, our eternal mediator. That's the only way you can go to God. That's the only way God hears your prayers is through Jesus Christ. Oh, dear friend, know the power of prayer by praying in the name of Jesus, praying through him. How do you pray through Jesus? That means you must come to Jesus and trust in him. Trust that he died on Calvary's cross for your sins. Trust that he was raised again, assuring you that you would be justified before God. Trust in Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to him. Turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus. Surrender to God. Surrender to Christ. He will save you and he will be your mediator. He will empower your prayers. Know powerful prayer by knowing Jesus Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer as your children through Jesus Christ. Lord, you are a powerful, almighty, wonderful God. You give us life in this world and eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we thank you and we praise you. Oh, Father, we humbly bow before you. And we pray that you would hear our prayers and empower our prayers. We are ever aware of our weaknesses, our sins, and pray for your forgiveness, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, we pray that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you in Jesus Christ our Lord. And Lord, if there's any today, and certainly there are some who have listened to this message today, who've never trusted in Jesus, maybe they've prayed and wondered why there's no power in their prayer. Let them see, let them realize powerful prayer starts by trusting in Jesus and putting their faith in him, in him. Turn their hearts today, I pray. Let them know the joy of your salvation. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.